Good morning. We're here this morning to continue in the, the summer of the Psalms. And uh, my name is Bob Thomas, as was said earlier. I'm the executive pastor, as was said. I'm also the missions pastor uh, at Community Alliance Church. So I get to travel uh, around the world quite a bit. It's a, it's a great privilege to be with uh, Christian Missionary Alliance international workers around the world. And I mention that because I'm going to tell you a story in just a moment that uh, relates to that. I do want to tell you we're going to be in Psalm 46 this morning. So if you want to turn in your Bibles, I'm going to read Psalm 46 in a few minutes. Uh, I want to tell you, as I say, a little bit about myself first and, and a bit of a story. Before I do that, uh, let's just pray, okay? Father, as has already been prayed, we ask that you might have your way this morning in our hearts, that uh, your word would impact us, change us, transform us, uh, challenge us, and convict us, Lord, where necessary. We just bring this time to you and ask that you would speak. Uh, Lord, you know that in, in myself, I've got nothing to say uh, of any value, but your word has great value. And so I pray that you would allow me to communicate it well. And I ask that uh, you would allow hearts to be receptive, to receptive in the process. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, I was a missions pastor. Uh, we, we have, uh, I've been in Butler for many years. We've been taking trips to the Dominican Republic for about 15 years. And 10 years ago, in February of 2008, something happened on a trip to the, to the Dominican that uh, I want to talk to you about. So we were there. I was, I was leading a team of uh, about a dozen people from my church. And uh, we were on a bus going to church one evening. And I began to act uh, very strange. And by that, I mean, uh, I was talking to people on the bus about if they saw this dog that was on the bus, but there was no dog there. I was talking to them about, uh, did they see this man sitting in a seat over here? Uh, but not to look at him, but, but there was no man sitting in that seat. Uh, team, the team there, several of them were my friends, didn't know uh, what was happening. Uh, and so they began to pray. And in about a half an hour or so, I began to sort of return back to normal. And uh, later that evening, a, a friend of mine told me what had happened. I didn't have any recollection of any of that. I kind of thought he was joking at first, to be honest. Um, but I went home that night and slept. The next morning felt very tired, but fine. The trip ended in a couple of days, and uh, we returned to the United States. Certainly, I let my wife know what happened, but we had no idea and thought maybe it was dehydration. We didn't know. Uh, for over the next two months, though, uh, again, that was February, I had never had, I had never slept walked in my life, if that's a word, slept walked. I was, I was not known for sleepwalking. Uh, but over the next couple of months, my wife would wake up at, at some time in the middle of the night and I wouldn't be in bed and she would go find me somewhere in our house, normally just standing. And she would be able to talk with me and tell me to come back to bed and I would go back to bed. And again, I had no recollection of that the next day, but I was quite tired the next day, uh, mentally kind of fuzzy. We had no idea what, what was happening. And then on April 12th of 2008, which happened to be my birthday, um, I was uh, home. It was a Saturday. I was in bed. My wife was downstairs in the living room right under our bedroom. She heard a loud noise. And so she came upstairs and she found me sort of half laying on the floor. My feet were sort of tangled in the sheet on the bed. I was on the ground. The, the nightstand was on top of me. The lamp was on the floor and my lips were blue. And she and my son called 911, and the paramedics came, the EMTs came, and they showed up. And the first thing I remember is waking up, sort of coming to in an ambulance, looking out the window, seeing my wife as we were driving out of the driveway. 
And so that day began a journey for us. We found out within the next 24 to 48 hours that I had had a grand mal seizure. Uh, we had never heard of that before. Uh, and we also found out I was diagnosed at the age of 46 with epilepsy. Even though no one in my family had ever had epilepsy, uh, I didn't know a whole lot about epilepsy. In, fo- in fact, I found out that the word epilepsy literally means a seizure of unknown origin. And that uh, day we, we began processing a lot of information about life. Is there, is there something in life that's causing this? I, I got on medication, lots of different medications, and then different dosages of medications, etc. And that journey... I want you to know, continues until this moment, actually. And, and I shared that story, and I'll tell you a little bit more uh, about it at the, at the end of the sermon. I share it not to just uh, say, hey, I have epilepsy, but to let you know, in my life, there have been problems. And what I want you to know is, if you haven't already figured it out, there's also problems in your life. There will be if there hasn't been already. And, and I'm not saying that because I've experienced it. I'm saying it because that's what God's word tells us. In fact, Psalm 46 is very clear about that. And what I want us to do is read Psalm 46 this morning and really gather four principles. They're pretty simple. They're pretty straightforward. And then see how God might use those principles in our life. So would you read along with me Psalm 46? It will be on your screen, and certainly you can use your Bibles, a reading from the ESV version. Verse 1 says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Then you see a word there that's selah. Uh, and we don't know exactly today what that means. It seems to be a, a notation for the, the folks that are playing or singing. It's some sort of musical notation. Maybe you've learned about that already since you've been in the Psalms this summer. But I wanted to make sure that we at least mention that word. If we continue on in verse 4, it says this. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in, her, in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Again, that word, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. In the psalm, there are three confessions. There are three verses that repeat really the same thing. Verses 1, 7, and 11. They basically all say, God is with us. Verse 1 says, he is ever present. Verse 7 and 11 literally say the words, with us. There are a lot of places in scripture that remind us of this truth Deuteronomy 31, 6, uh, Moses is talking to the Israelites and to Joshua before they go in to take the promised land. And he says this to them in uh, Deuteronomy 31, 6, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them for it is the Lord, your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Certainly lots of other examples in the old Testament, but one that is very well known in the new Testament, Matthew 28 Jesus is speaking to his disciples before he goes up really and and leaves the earth. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the first principle that I, I want us to take note of this morning, found in Psalm 46 and elsewhere, elsewhere in Scripture, is God is with us. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. God is with us. God is with me. God is with you. That's what Psalm 46 is telling us. I have to tell you the truth, though. There are times in my life when I don't feel like God is with me. Has that ever happened to you? Sometimes I kind of doubt if he's really there. Why is that? Well, one of the main reasons, I believe, is also found in verse uh, sorry, in, in Psalm 46, actually uh, verse 2. It says there that, sorry, sorry, verse 1 still. God is an ever-present help. The last word in verse 1 says, in trouble. Right, so in trouble, God is with us. And that's the second principle, really. There will be trouble in this life. There will be trouble in this life. So as I said earlier this morning, aren't you glad you came? There you go. Have a great Sunday. There will be trouble in life. <laughs> Thankfully, there's more to the psalm than that. But, but those two things are very clear. God is with us. There will be trouble in this life. We shouldn't be surprised when that happens. There'll be problems. There'll be issues. There'll be hard circumstances in our lives. Scripture has lots of examples of people who lived lives the way God wanted them to live, and yet they had difficulty in their lives. Think of Joseph, if you know his story. He was sold into slavery by his own brothers. He becomes a slave, and actually he, he serves his master very well. And, and for that effort, his master's wife falsely accuses him, and he ends up in prison. Again, you may know the story. Then when he's in prison, he actually interprets some dreams and helps a few people get out of prison. And, and once they get out, they forget all about him. And he stays in prison. Eventually, God does raise him up. There's another story in the Old Testament, the story of Naomi. Her story is found in the book of Ruth. It's really a story of loss, of grief, of mourning. Naomi loses her husband and then she loses both of her sons, and she's really alone. Again, the book of Ruth tells her story and tells how God really uh, redeems her and cares for her. But it's a difficult life that she lives. And then maybe the, the most well-known list of troubles that any one person has lived through is found in 2 Corinthians. Paul the Apostle, writing to the Corinthians in, in chapter 11, he says this, and I want to read these for you. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from Gentiles, danger from robbers. I'm sorry, I missed, I missed the line. In danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. That's a lot of danger. Then he continues, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches." Those are some trouble. Those are some problems. And yet we know from Scripture that Paul lived his life the way God wanted him to live it. 
but he had problems in his life. And it's not just stories we hear in the Bible. James chapter one says, count it all joy, brothers, when you meet various trials or trials of various kinds. He says, not if you meet them, but when you meet them, trials will come, difficulties will come. Sometimes when things go wrong in my life, as I said, it can feel like God is distant. Sometimes it feels like maybe God has forgotten me. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. It's critical, especially at those times, to remember God's word and what it says and to believe the truth that we find there. So that when we experience that second principle, that there will be trouble in this life, we remember and hold on to the first principle, which is God is with us. Let's look back at Psalm 46. I mentioned those three confessions, right, in verse 1, 7, and 11. Those confessions sort of bracket two other passages, two other stanzas, really, in this, in this psalm. They talk about some events, a description of events in the world. Let, let, let's look at those briefly. Verses 2 through 6 and, eight, and then 8 through 10. Verses 2 through 6 say this. Therefore we won't fear, though the earth give way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, the mountains tremble at its swelling. And then verse 4 and 5 are really, it's a, it's a beautifully poetic way of God saying he will be with us and he will protect us. It says, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. And then it continues and says, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. And then verses 8 through 10, similar. They say, come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. And then God himself speaks and says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Both of these passages make really clear there's going to be problems in the world, right? They express the fact that the forces of nature and nations are often in an uproar. But they also point out a very important truth, which is our third principle. And that is that God is in control of all things. The psalmist says, even as the earth gives away, even as the, the ocean is roaring, God is in control and he's able to protect us. In verse 8, the psalmist says, God will end these wars. There will come a day when he will get rid of all the instruments of war. There will come a day when he is exalted among the earth, among the nations. These passages are very clear. God is in control of all things. Now, I feel like I need to, to pause a moment and say to you, I've heard many people, I've heard many Christians say that to me. God is in control. I've said that. But when I look at their lives sometimes, and sometimes when I look at my own life, we, we live in a way that it seems like we, we really think we're in control, if I can be honest. I get to talk to a lot of parents 
especially of, uh, now of younger children. And, and in the world we live in today, what's, what's a, a huge concern? Safety. We want to keep our child safe. So we want to send them to, the, to a certain school that is safe. We want to know the precautions that have been taken at that school. We, we want to do our homework, our due diligence, if you will. Certainly we see, I, I see a lot. I'm assuming it's very similar in Erie as it is in Butler. We're not that far apart. Parents want their child to be in the right sports league, right? Or the right dance club or the right environment for their musical abilities to grow. And why is that? Often when I talk to parents, they say, well, I want them to be able to get into college. I want them to get a, I want them to get a scholarship. I want them to be able to graduate and get a job and be successful. Certainly in our own lives, I've had people say, you know, I'm, I, I'm not going to go on that mission trip. I, I don't think it's safe there in that country. Sometimes we don't want to go into certain neighborhoods. Maybe we don't want to be involved in certain ministries that minister to certain people because we want to be safe. We want to control our environment as much as we can. There's also times where we we look at our career and we say, I'm going to change jobs here or I'm going to, I'm going to take this course because that'll help me do this and, and, and then I'll, I'll get ahead, I'll succeed. Now, let me say, none of those things I've just mentioned is wrong. I hope there's not a parent here who doesn't want their child to be safe. Here's the problem. When we begin to think that if I do A and B and C, then D and E and F are going to happen, then we're fooling ourselves because we're not in control no matter what steps we take, life has problems. Life has circumstances. Unexpected things happen, and we're not in control. I have a, a pastor friend many years ago who told a story that illustrates this, and it, it still sticks with me, and I want to share it with you. He was, he and his family, at that time, was he and his wife, and they had two children, about a three-year-old and a five-year-old. They went to South America for a couple of months during the summer with a big group of people to, to basically put on basketball camps, teach people about basketball, and, and then also uh, share uh, the gospel, talk to people about the Lord while they were there. And during that time, there was a lot of inflation, very high inflation in those countries where they visited. And so they could have a certain amount of money, which was uh, you know plenty of money to go have a meal out on a Monday. But two and a half weeks later, that money wasn't enough to, to buy one meal, let alone for the whole family. That's how much inflation was changing the value uh, of their money. And he just said it was out of control. He can remember praying just, God, get me home where, where I kind of know the rules, right? Where, where get me home safely so that I can understand what's happening in the culture. The other thing he said that would happen is people would go out as he was walking he, he, with his family or by himself, a police officer would come up and say, come here. And he would say, let me see your papers. You always had to have your papers. So he would give him the papers and the police officer would put the paper in his pocket and just start to walk away because the officer wanted you to bribe him to get your papers back. Now, the reason the police officer was doing that was he didn't have money to feed his family either. That's how bad the economy was. It was just a financial collapse. But this person uh, said it was just, it was maddening. We, we, we were afraid, he said, to go outside. We would try to, I would try to get to the store by walking and come right back. And, and we just wouldn't go out unless we absolutely had to because it was just out of control. And he said, I just wanted to get back to the United States where... Again, I knew the rules and my kids would be safe and I could be, uh, have some control. So he tells the story that they came home after about two months and uh, his family and her family met them in the airport 
And they uh, got all of those people and they went where a lot of uh, uh, Americans go when they haven't been uh, in a place that had this. They go to McDonald's, right? There's a playland there and there's nothing like McDonald's. McDonald's tastes the same everywhere in the world. If you don't know that, it's true. And, and so they come back and they're in McDonald's and he, as he's sitting down, he looks around and there's all these people and he realizes his five-year-old is not there. Gone. And he stands up and he begins to look for him and he sees him going out the door where the drive-thru is. And he begins to run to the drive-thru. And as he gets his hand on the, the door of the drive-thru, he hears a screech of tires. And he opens the door and he looks out and his son is standing a couple feet from a car that has stopped in time and hasn't touched his child. And he picks his child up and he says, in that moment, it wasn't audibly, God did not speak to him audibly, but very clearly God said, you are not in control here either. I am in control here. I am in control in South America. I can keep your child safe. You can't. And I've never forgotten that story. Never forgotten that story. And it's so true. But if we think we're in control, we are fooling ourselves. Control is an illusion for us. But God, thankfully, he is in control. Back to what this passage teaches You'll notice that these things do occur, right? Wars do occur. Nations uh, do fight one another. There are natural disasters still happening. They happen for a time. The psalmist is saying that, but the psalmist is saying God is in control. Look, Look at the three things we've learned so far, right? God is with us. Trouble will come in this life. And God is in control of all things. Fourth principle, the last one, is found in verse two. The first five words of verse two. I skipped over it rather quickly earlier. Here are the first five words. It says, therefore, we will not fear. The principle is we can live life without ongoing fear. How is that possible? It's possible because the psalmist says in verse 1, at the very end, he says God is ever present in trouble, but he also says God is our refuge. God is our strength. He is an ever-present help. So even in the midst of knowing that there's trouble. The psalmist reminds us that God is in control. And that the fact that God is in control supersedes or overcomes the, the fact that there will be trouble in life. And because of that, we can live life without ongoing fear. Look at Psalm 23, 4. It says this, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 34, 4 shows that we do experience fear, but the Lord will take those fears from us. It says this, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. And then Psalm 94, 19, it has a similar thought, but I love the way the NIV puts it and captures it. The NIV says, when anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. So the idea is uh, there's anxiety, there's fear there, But God consoles us. He comes alongside us. And because of that consolation, we can have joy even in the midst, even in the midst of circumstances that should bring fear. Peter, in 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him, all your cares on him, because he cares for you. The implication is, and, and he will remove it. He will take it from you. Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, 
but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The idea here is we have a relationship with Christ and we don't have to fear losing that. We don't have to fear not, no longer being sons or daughters. We've been adopted and we can call him Papa or Daddy. So the passage is teaching us that fearlessness comes from understanding that God is with me. No matter the circumstances, no matter the trouble, no matter what comes to pass in my life. He is in control. I am not. He is trustworthy. He will strengthen me. He will help me. That's what the four principles tell us. That's what the passage teaches. I want us to think about two things before we leave this morning. I think it's important to understand these things so that we can understand the full impact of these verses and this passage on our lives. First, we have to recognize that in order to not have fear in these circumstances, we have to know God's word and trust that it is true, right? Trusting it's true means believing it is true, even in the midst of circumstances where my emotions and feelings sort of push me to believe something else. And certainly in order to trust God's word, we need to know God's word. We, we, can't, we can't trust in a promise that we don't know. That doesn't make any sense. We have to know the promise. We have to know God's word. And in order to know it, when I use that word, I'm not just talking about being here on a Sunday, uh, every Sunday or every other Sunday and hearing someone preach for 30 minutes or today, 60 minutes. Just kidding. Um, 30 or 40 minutes. It's more than that. It's spending time reading God's word and, and pondering it, really, thinking on it, asking God to, to show what, what is the truth that you want me to get from this verse. And as we do that, then it becomes possible to really know it and to rely on it when circumstances in our lives get difficult so that our emotions or feelings don't cause us to believe something else. God's word says that in the midst of those kinds of circumstances, he can, he can bring peace. Paul is writing to the church in, in Philippi, so the, the Philippian church, and he says, bring all your petitions, all your wants, all your desires, all your cares, bring them to the Lord. And then he says in verse 7 of chapter 4, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I love that verse because really what that verse is saying is this peace won't make sense. It won't make sense. It, it, your it peace, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. It's, it doesn't logically make sense, but it's true. I hope you've experienced it in your life. I hope you've, you've seen other people who have experienced it in their life. I'll tell you a place where I see it most vividly. When I'm spending time with men and women who know that the end of their life is very near. They just have a few days left. I've had the privilege of being with uh, those folks in hospice and in their, with their families as well in hospice. And it is amazing to be with those folks who know, they know where they're going. They know that God has the number of their days in his hand and they're at peace. They have no fear. If you think about it, right, fear and peace, I mean, they don't go together. 
We can't be fearful of something and have peace. Peace is the absence of fear. And I've seen it on their faces. I've heard it in their words. They know, they believe, they trust 100% that when they breathe their last here, that'll be the moment they see their Lord and Savior in heaven. It's vivid in their lives. Very, very clear. So that's the first thing that I want us to understand. We have to know God's word in order to trust it. Here's the second thing that I see in this passage and I I see I've experienced in my own life. Often, God's strength and help comes through other people. Have you seen that in your life? Have you experienced that? Remember I told you that I couldn't drive for 10 and a half months. Okay, we had two teenagers at that time, I think 13 and 14, 14 and 15, something like that. So you can imagine if you're right now, if you're in a family has a, a husband and a wife and, and two or three children, you know how much you run them around, right? So one of you loses your car, loses your privilege. You can't drive for 10 and a half months. Can you imagine the impact it had on our lives? I also had to get to work every day and home. Didn't want to sleep there. So there's a friend in our church who took it upon himself to begin to ask people if they would be interested and willing to take me to work or to take me from work. And so on Sunday evenings, I would get a schedule from him. And it would tell me who was going to pick me up Monday morning. Some of the people I knew, some of them I didn't. Our church is pretty large, more than a 1,000 people, so there were people that signed up that I didn't know. I had never met them. They picked me up, they took me to work. And then they or someone else picked me up from work and took me home every day. He did that every week for 10 and a half months. Can you imagine the impact it had on our lives? It was a huge encouragement to us. So, so here's the thing. God was our help. God was our strength. But he used this person as his conduit, as his channel to get that help to us. And we've experienced that at other times in our lives as well. We've, we've found ourselves in difficulty, in, in, in difficult circumstances. We had a specific need and we would pray and God would meet our need. But often through someone else. Have you ever had that happen? People step in. It's God providing the help, but they are the conduit. They are the channel. That's really God's design often. He wants to use his body, right? He wants to use his church. He can and he does step in supernaturally and provide strength and provide help. We've had that experience as well. But often he uses people. He uses others. Understanding that makes me logically want to ask a question. Do you right now know of anybody who is experiencing some trouble in their life? Who could use some help, some strength from God? Could he be calling you to be that channel or that conduit? Could be someone in your neighborhood, at work. Could be someone in this room right now. Could be someone in the pew beside you. I don't know. I also don't know what he might be calling you to do. It might be something sort of large like my friend did for 10 and a half months. Organize something large or or maybe organize some meals for someone or some clothing for someone. Maybe it's just picking up the telephone and calling a person and saying, how are you? I haven't seen you or I have seen you and I, I know there's some issues in your life. How can I help? I don't know what God might be calling you to do, but I want to challenge you to ask God, is there someone in my life that you want me to be a conduit of your help and your strength into their lives. 
If you do that, he'll, he'll show you. And then he'll show you what to do as well. I'm convinced of that. I know that. Again, I've seen him do it in my life. I want to end this morning by telling you um, a little bit about sort of where we are in the story of, of epilepsy in my life, right? It has been a journey. I, I want to tell you that I've had lots of seizures since April 2008. I've never had another grand mal seizure, though. We praise God for that. I've had those sort of absence seizures where I act kind of strange and don't really know what's going on. I've had those. I will also tell you that for the last several years, even those seizures are only happening at night. So I haven't lost my driver's license in a long, long time, which is really good news. And we praise God for that as well. I, I do want you to know that especially in the early part of this journey, the first couple of years, uh, it, it was difficult. It, it took a, uh, a pretty, pretty big physical toll, mental toll. I, you know, I've lost a lot of memories because of these seizures that will never come back. Doctors have told us that. Uh, my, my brain would just be really fuzzy for a while, for a day or two or three after these seizures. Uh, emotionally, the seizures and the medication I'm on can, can have an impact. And so it, it's been a difficult journey. I, I don't want you to think that it hasn't been. So if you're going through a, a difficult journey, I understand a piece of it at least. I will tell you that in October of 2008, I actually had brain surgery. Um, there was a tumor behind my left eye pressing up against my brain, and we thought, and the doctors said there was a very good chance that that was causing the seizures, so we did have it removed successfully. Unfortunately, a few months later, the, the seizures came back, so they, they haven't been stopped. We've certainly asked God to heal me. Uh, as I thought about it this week, there's probably a couple of hundred people around the world, because I told you we get to travel quite a bit, who have prayed that God would heal me. We had a couple of hundred people gather around us at our church and pray for God's healing. And still, the seizures continue. Uh, especially in the beginning, for the first, there was a period of time for a few months in my life where for the first time in my life at probably 48 years old, I experienced depression. Heard people talk about it, prayed for people about it, never experienced it before. Now I know what it's like. Again, that's thankfully in the past. I will tell you for the last several years, uh, the, the seizures that I have are usually six or seven months apart. I, I haven't had many, you know, back to back like I used to, although I had one two weeks ago. And uh, actually May 30th, I had one as well. So that's, those are the two closest I've had in quite a while. The journey continues. But here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to know. Even in the midst of uncertainty, right? Even in the midst of, of sometimes experiencing that 24-hour lag of just not really being able to function very well. Um, even in the midst of still not knowing why. I can tell you that I am able. I'm just, I'm able to say to you 100%. I'm convinced. I'm convinced that, that God's word is true. And I have, I have seen him be my help and my fortress and my strength when I needed it every single time. And I praise God for that. He is awesome. I'm convinced that he can heal me if he desires. And because I am convinced of those things, I can stand before you and say, I no longer live in the fear of those seizures. 
I can live without ongoing fear because I've come to trust God and I've come to take him at his word. And I want you to know that. Now, listen, in a a group this large, I am certain, I am certain there are people here with way bigger problems than epilepsy. I only tell you this to say, if you haven't already heard it, and to remind you, if you've heard it dozens of times, God cares for you. God is in control of your life. And he will give you strength. And he will give you help when you need it. That's what his word teaches. Don't take me at my word. Take him at his word. The four principles that we've looked at are God is with us, right? There will be trouble in this life. God is in control of all things. And because of that, we can live life without ongoing fear. And my hope is that as you spend time dwelling on those principles and praying, hopefully, over those principles, you will be able to live a life without fear. Let's pray. Father, that life without fear is only possible because of the truth found in your scripture. You are in control of all things. You never leave us. You never forsake us, no matter the circumstances, and even no matter the emotions that we feel. Thank you for that truth. Thank you for how you have proven yourself faithful in the midst of this journey in my life and in the life of my family. The journey continues. So does your faithfulness. Lord, I pray this morning for these who have heard this message, your message. Lord, I ask that you would encourage those who need to be encouraged. You would remind them that you are with them, that you'll never leave them, never forsake them. And even when it seems the world is out of control, it isn't. It is under your control, always. Lord, I pray as well that you might bring a name to mind of someone in their sphere of influence, someone in their life who, who's having some trouble in life. Would you speak that name to them now? And then, Lord, I pray that you might show them what to do for this individual or this group of people or this family. Thank you that you allow us to be your channels, your conduit of love and strength and help into the lives of others. I pray that you would give us strength to do that. And we will be careful, God, to give you praise, even as we praise you now, because you alone are worthy of it. Part of that praise, Father, is giving back to you a small portion of what you've given to us. And so I pray that you would bless these offerings, these gifts. I pray that you would bless the giver as well. Would you use these gifts to transform lives, transform this community, transform this city? Lord, we commit them to you, and we continue to give you praise as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.